Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We finished Psalm 119, and we are getting ready to redo our church constitution. And leading into that, I'm just going to be preaching on what a church is and what God expects of us as a church. I do want to fill you in on some things that are coming up. Um, So, Mark Trotter would normally do a meeting up in at Brett Bartlett's church, the Wildwood Baptist Church. They called it the Holiness Conference. And when Mark's cancer diagnosis came back, Brett asked me to be ready to, to fill in if, if something happened. And so we know that Mark is now in heaven. And so next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching their Holiness Conference, Sunday through Tuesday up in Michigan. So if any of you want to come up for that, it'll be... Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night in in Lambertville, Michigan. Um, And then I'll be back, and we're going to be continuing our study here, continuing our Wednesday night Bible studies. And then on uh, the following Sunday, I believe it's... So, by the way, next Sunday, Dan Wolven's going to preach for us. And, you know, Brother Dan's a tremendous preacher from North Columbus Baptist Church. He's going to be here with us. So then I'll be back... And then on um, May 2nd, I'm preaching Brandon Blackford's ordination. So these two meetings, the Holiness Conference and the and Brandon's ordination, those are not normal things that I would have scheduled in our, uh, in our travel schedule. So pray for us. Please be patient. I'm not deserting Grace Baptist Church. But how could I not be a part of Brandon's uh, ordination? And so that's when Pastor Nathan is going to be preaching here. And what an exciting day. Jeff Blackford said, you know half the church is going to be at Brandon's ordination, so they're not going to be able to see Pastor Nathan. But uh, I'm glad that he gets to be here for that. And then Jacob graduates from college May 12th. And that weekend, we're going to be at his graduation. So I'm going to miss that Sunday. And again, Jacob's college graduation is not something that happens every year. Um, But we're going to have our missionary, Dave Fetter, with us that day. Isn't that good? And so our missionary to Micronesia, of course, they're stuck here in the United States. They can't get back into Micronesia. the, The nation is closed because of COVID. So he's going to come and preach for us that day. But uh, if you're a guest with us, you're wondering if I'm a part-time pastor. I really am not. It's just the way that the schedule has worked. But uh, that's my last Sunday that I'll be gone uh, this year. So um, other than vacation, which, Lord willing, that'll happen too. All right. Uh, Lord, help us as we study your word. Help us to know what, uh, what we are to be as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, look with me at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. Speaking of Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So it's really important for us to understand that this church is not our church. It's Jesus Christ's church. 
Now, I do love it when people say, this is my church, and I feel like this is my church, right? They're, they're, I'm a member. I care what happens here. I love being here. I love you guys. This is my church, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. But when it comes to organizing the church and how the church is to behave, what we are to do, what our church services are to look like, but all of that, that's ordered by Jesus, not by us. Amen? That Jesus is the head of the church. Jim Alter's not the head of Grace Baptist Church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The deacons are not the head of the church. The deacons' wives, yeah, they're in charge. Let's, let's, let's just be honest. So it, it's really important that we understand that when we, when we all come together and as we are going to be revisiting this idea of our church administration, our church government, that we're not allowed to make the rules, that God has made the rules, and any documents that we put out must be under the authority of God's Word. So we'll have a church constitution, but let's say that we come across something in the Bible that is different than what, is in, what, is our, what our church constitution says. Well, we're going to do what the Bible says. And so it's real important that we do that. And the thought that I had as, as we launch this study was what, what is Christ's role in this and how does the church submit to Christ in it? So the, the first concept, of course, is that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. Can I get, get a good amen on that? So we need to have a good understanding of who he is. You understand that we live in a time where people are claiming attitudes that are Christian, supposedly Christian, that Jesus Christ would never endorse. And we're going to see some of those this morning. And it's, it's pretty striking. Jesus is the head of the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So I'm going to have you turn to some passages, other passages today I'm just going to print, have, have on the screen for you so we can get through this quickly. But we're going to establish some things about Christ and who he is. So the question is, where is Jesus right now? Where is he? Where is his body? So we could answer it spiritually. Spiritually, he is in us and with us. How many of you have Jesus Christ in you right now? If you're, if you, if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's what the Bible says. So if you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, Jesus Christ is in you. So where is Jesus right now? Well, he's in me. Then when we are a properly functioning, pure New Testament church, Jesus is here with us. You know, have you ever heard this verse? Wherever two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Have you heard that verse? Right? Most people don't know that that's the church discipline passage. So, if I find out that Justin Yo is behaving improperly, and I go to him and talk to him, and he won't listen to me, well, then I'll get Patrick and Ty, a couple of the other men in the church, I tell them what's going on, and we go to him. He still won't listen to us. What we're going to do then is we're going to bring it before the whole church. And the whole church will determine that Justin, because of his behavior, 
can no longer be a member of Grace Baptist Church, and we're going to set him outside of our body. He can no longer take the Lord's Supper here. He is not allowed to participate in the life and ministry of Grace Baptist Church. When we do that, Jesus is there in the midst of us. So, now I'm glad that Justin has not done that. If he has, I don't know about it yet. If you all need to talk to me after the service, let me know. (laughs) Amanda's got some ammo right there. She's ready. So, it's real important that we understand that Jesus is in us, and praise God, he's here with us right now. As we worship, as we maintain a holy and a righteous body. And I've got to tell you, you will never have more trouble in a New Testament church than when you practice church discipline. And when people leave the church, man, they find each other. People that are behaving badly, they're violating the scriptures, we hold them accountable. There's a whole Facebook group of people that hate us because we believe that a man ought to stay married to his wife and maybe not have adult, commit adultery and that maybe a lady ought to stay with her husband and not commit adultery and because we believe those crazy things. So, now, are we mad at those people? No. Do we want them to get right with God? Absolutely, because if they're saved, God's going to chasten them and the Bible describes that chastening as grievous. We don't chasten them other than setting them outside the body, turning them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's how the Bible says it. And when we do that, Jesus is here with us. In other words, he cares. So spiritually, Jesus is in us and with us. But remember that when Jesus Christ became flesh, we celebrate Christmas when Jesus Christ was born as a baby, born of a virgin, then last, uh, just a week or so ago, when we, was it, was last week Easter? We celebrate the resurrection. I'm chronologically challenged. So when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had to have a body to do that. But in Revelation 5, when they're seeing Jesus, they're seeing him as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He still bears in his body the scars that he, that he bore, that he received for our justification. He still has that body. So we have to remember this. Let's not get too spiritual with this. If we ask, where is Christ's body right now? If we mean the church, well, we're it. Every saved person is a part of the church. But if we're talking about his actual physical body... It has a location, and that's at the right hand of the Father. So, where is this body? Look at Revelation chapter 3. He's the head of the church, amen? That's kind of weak. Look at verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching and I was talking about the throne of God and worshiping before the throne of God. 
and how actually we're in it. In that Jesus does not have a throne. Jesus is in his father's throne right now. Are you all with me on this? How many of you, that's kind of new information for you? Do you raise your hand? That's kind of a thought that you hadn't considered. And, and so notice what he says. Verse 21 again. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. In his throne. So where is his body right now? Jesus is sitting in his father's throne. Jesus will sit in his own throne in Jerusalem. So are you glad? How many of you are glad Jesus is coming back? So anyway, let's just go on. I was going to tell you a bad joke, but I'm going to keep going. Not a bad joke, just not necessarily a funny joke. You know the difference? Like usual, thank you. All right, you made me. There's these two cowboys. They're riding along, and they look out, and they see they're surrounded by Indians. They're at the at top of this cliff, and they see these Indians everywhere, and they're hearing war drums. And the one cowboy looks at the other and says, I don't like the sound of those drums. And somebody shouts out from the down below, well, he's not our normal drummer. <laughs> Bad joke. That's not the joke I was going to tell, but. Look at Jeremiah 3.17. I've got it printed. How many of you would admit that's a bad joke? Yes. But some of you are going to tell it. I know you will. Okay, Jeremiah 3.17. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. We know that, according to Genesis 6, that the imaginations of the hearts of men are only evil continually. And so that's, that's where the world is. But Jesus Christ will return, and he will establish his throne in Jerusalem. But right now, Jesus doesn't have a throne. He's seated in his Father's throne in heaven. These things are important. So let's, let's, start, let's try to understand some things about the throne. God has revealed to us some amazing information about this throne. And we're going somewhere. If we're going to be establishing who we are as a church, what... What does the king want us to do? What does the head want us to do? And this concept of his throne will help us to see that. The throne is mentioned 31 times in the book of Revelation. And one of the things that I want us to make sure that we get is don't believe modern accounts of heaven. How many of you have heard that, you know, somebody will die, they'll go to heaven, they'll come back and write a book? Right? And where's Nathaniel at? What was the boy that, what's his name? Alex, this guy, this, his dad wrote a book about this boy that died. What was the name of the book? The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Very famous book. Well, Nathaniel was his teacher. He had him in class, and it was all made up. His dad made it up. It wasn't real. Not true. Not true. Understand that God has kept a veil over his throne. That God has kept a veil over heaven. Why? Because we'd all kill ourselves. I hath not here. I hath not seen nor tongue expressed that which God has prepared for them that love him. So, 
If it's not been expressed, and it will not be expressed, then when somebody tells you something, you just say, liar, liar, pants on fire. It's just not in the Bible. So don't believe the modern accounts. But God has revealed some very interesting things in the Scriptures. Now, I want us to remember the curse of knowledge, the curse of knowledge. Remember what that is. Once you know something, it's almost impossible to remember what it was like not to know it. And so because we know some things about the throne of God, let's not imagine that the Old Testament saints had the same understanding that we do. So when we go to the Old Testament and we see some pictures of of heaven, well, it's a different view. Don't imagine that they understood what we know about these things. Uh, I want you to see how Job describes his view of the throne. Job 26, 9, He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. So this is the understanding that everyone had of the throne of God until John. Very interesting. That's why the book of Revelation becomes so important. And we'll see that there's some stuff in Jeremiah and some other places that give a description, but there's not really an understanding of the description until we get to the book of Revelation. So Job described his view. So where is this throne? Where is the throne of God? Well, Psalm eleven four: the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. So there's a temple in heaven. And in the middle of that temple is the holiest of all. And in the holiest of all is the throne of God. That's where Jesus Christ's sitting right now. And what did he do? Go to, go to Hebrews. Go with me to Hebrews. Chapter 9. Look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of, what's that last word? Himself. Praise God. Now notice the next verse. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So Jesus Christ is coming back. But right now, he is in the holy places in heaven. Where is this throne? Well, it's in the temple in heaven. Isn't it fun to get these details from the Bible? Where is this throne? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. What does the throne look like? Does the Bible tell us what it looks like? Remember what Job said. There's a cloud over it. He hides his face. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1.
So Ezekiel is given a view. And you have these creatures with all four heads. and Actually, I think it's one head. They have four faces. And they turn their head and it's a different animal, a different creature. And they're carrying the throne of God. And they carry it. Notice it describes this throne in verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. Now notice it's saying a likeness because they're getting a view of a spiritual reality. And now notice what it says. Verse 27, And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the... Now notice what it says. The bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain... So was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness, look at this, of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. You know, you hear people say, when I get to heaven, when I, when I go to the throne of God, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find Mama. I'm going to talk to Mama. I can't wait to see her and talk to her again. Now look, I miss my mother. I, I love my mother. I'm not diminishing any of you have lost loved ones. The other day when uh, I was preaching in New York and there was a pastor from Washington State that was there and he didn't know that the church that my dad had started in New York, his mother was saved in that church. I wanted to call my dad and say, Dad, you're not going to believe who I just met. Dad's in heaven. So I miss my parents, but I promise you the first thing I do when I get to heaven and I stand before the throne of God, it will not be to run and look for my mother and father. It will be to fall before the face of the one that sits on the throne and worship. And worship. But this is, how many of you think this is a little frightening, this view? Yes. Yes. Let's see if we get any more information on that. Look at Revelation chapter 4. It's so interesting. It's almost like the same person wrote this. Revelation 4, look at verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit... And behold, a throne was set, where is it set? In heaven. And one sat on the throne. Now, he goes to describe the one that sits on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, or sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So the one that sits on it is to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto a rainbow or an, an emerald. I'm sorry. So the jasper and sardine. This is, this is fun. This, this, is, this is just cool. 
So this is a description not of the throne, but of the one who sits upon the throne. And because you'll see, we're not going to take the time to go there today, but the other times when Jesus is seen sitting in the throne, there are physical descriptions of him. You know, hair like wool. It it describes his features. Notice here, you're just seeing glory. You're just seeing the glory. Hold your place here in Revelation 4. Go to Revelation 21. That jasper. And so in in Revelation 21, John sees the, the new Jerusalem, holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And look at verse 11, Revelation 21, 11. Having the glory of God... And her light was like unto a stone, look at these words, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So the jasper, that that jasper, that's the the most precious stone. That's the, the most beautiful. And that reflects the glory of God. So the one sitting on this throne that's being described is God the Father. This is the Father's throne. This is the one who's sitting there. And this is so fun. What about this jasper and sardine stone? What can we learn about this? Go to Exodus chapter 39. If you're a guest with us, this is what we do. This is, we, we try to understand what God has for us by allowing the Bible to explain itself. So what you'll notice is we'll talk about a, a phrase or word or a phrase that's found in the scriptures. And then we're going to search that out in the rest of the Bible to help us know what it means. So now this is fun. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 39 and look at verse 8. So this is God is establishing the, the tabernacle system, the temple system. And he's, he's demonstrating all of the different uh, articles of clothing that are to be made. And all, every one of it points to Jesus, every one of it, every one of them point to Jesus. All of it is about Christ. So now look at what it says in verse 8. And he made the breastplate of cunning work. So breastplate, you're going to wear that over his heart. And he made the breastplate of cunning work, like the work of the ephod. So that's another part of clothing of gold, blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. So what I want you to picture is kind of a, a square bag that's made from amazingly beautiful uh, linen, and the, the 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 fabric actually has gold in it, and it's it's really an amazing thing. And then notice what it says in verse nine: it was four square. They made the breastplate double. A span was the length thereof, and a span the breadth thereof, being doubled. And they set in it. Now this is the part that I want you to see: four rows of stones. The first row, now, so, so I want you to picture this square that's here, and on it are going to be four rows of precious stones. There are going to be three stones in each row, so what's three times four? Twelve. So notice what it says. They said, it, they said in it, in verse 10, four rows of stones. The first row was a sardius. That's a sardine stone a topaz, and a carbuncle. This was the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, uh, a ligure, an agate, 
and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they were enclosed in ouches of gold in their closings. Ouches, I like that. That's the setting. Why is the setting for a precious stone called an ouch? Because when you go to buy an engagement ring, you find out how much it costs, you say ouch. I don't know, but that's fitting, don't you think? I wonder if that's where the word ouch comes from. But, but that, they're, that's the setting. They're in settings of gold. These are precious stones in settings of gold. But notice the first is the sardine and the last is the jasper. He's the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. And the wonderful thing about this is, no, look at the next verse. It says, and the stones, verse 14, and the stones were according to the names of the children of Israel. Twelve, according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name according to the tribes. And the Bible says that the reason that he has those stones on him with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel is so that when the high priest goes into the holiest of all to make a sacrifice, he, it's a picture of God and of Jesus Christ. He has Israel on his heart. He loves them. He loves them. Do you know what happened in the section right before? There are two large onyx stones that are put in the ephod, and they're put in pouches on his shoulders. And the names of the tribes of Israel are inscribed six on one shoulder, second on the other shoulder. And that is that Jesus Christ is able, the, the, the shoulder is the sign of strength in the Bible, and he is able to carry the nation of Israel and to preserve them, and he loves them. He has the power to save. It's wonderful. And so what we see is before the throne of God, we have God again focusing on the nation of Israel. That's what's going on. And I'll show you something that's beautiful. Look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17. Malachi 3 and verse 17, last book of the Old Testament. So God's pronouncing judgment on Israel. But he gives them hope. He always gives them hope. Malachi 3, look at verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. So Malachi 3, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Look at what the Bible says in verse 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day. So in that day, that's the day that the Lord returns. Are you all with me? And look at what he says. In that day, when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him, then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. The 12 tribes are scattered. It's called the diaspora. They're scattered all over the world. There are people who believe that you can't even know what tribe you were from. But what's God going to do? He's going to make up his jewels again. He's going to gather them together. They're still near to his heart. And notice what happens. Go back to Revelation Revelation chapter 4, 
So he's in heaven, one that sat on the throne, end of verse 2, verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Here's what's fun. They're put, these stones are put in the breastplate. The first one, the first one is the oldest, Reuben. Son of my right hand. I'm sorry, behold the son, Reuben. The last is Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So in the throne, every bit of this points to Jesus. Jesus is in the throne with him. But we have not replaced Israel. We are in the throne in Christ. But we're part of these four and twenty elders before the throne worshiping him. And he has not finished with Israel And we're going to see that that's what's coming. So what we're looking at is Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ has ordered and ordained everything that will be done, but he rules and reigns from the throne of the Father in righteousness and true holiness as our mediator. He is our advocate He's there, but everything we do must be according to his divine order, just as everything Israel is to do is according to his divine order, and they are different. So now, look at, look at verse 4, or verse 3 again. Middle of verse 3. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. What's the significance of this rainbow? Well, I, I can't make it up. Just, well, let me tell you what I think it means. Let's see what the Bible says about it. What, what is the significance of it? The rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. Have you heard of the Noahic covenant? It wasn't a covenant with Noah. Look, look at what the text says. Genesis 9.13. I do set my bow in the cloud. Oh, wait a minute. Where's the bow? In the, in the cloud. What did... Job say about the throne, it's behind his cloud. It's behind his cloud. What did what did Jeremiah or what did Ezekiel say when he saw it? That there was a bow set in his cloud. What what is that talking about? I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. What is that covenant? That is, I destroyed the world. And my covenant is, I will never do it again by a flood. But what is this throne called? This throne is called the throne of his judgment. Never forget that the throne of God is a throne of judgment. Psalm 9, look with me at Psalm 9. This new woke church that wants to change everything God says so that we don't hurt people's feelings. Listen, the Bible is offensive to my flesh. And if I will simply submit to the word of God and be holy as he is holy, then it will not be offensive to my spirit, but it will always be offensive to my flesh.
And the reason these churches have such a problem with the word of God is they are fleshly churches. They are worldly churches. Can we do this? Keep your place in Psalm 9. Go to Revelation. Back to Revelation 3. I want you to see this. Keep your place in Psalms 9. So Revelation 3, we read this at the beginning. We're going to come back to it in a minute. You might want to just put a ribbon here. Revelation 3, 21. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? Right? We looked at that a minute ago. Look at the context. Verse 1. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm sorry, verse 20. The verse right before it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So, really important that we see this. He's talking to to, to churches. And the churches in the Laodicean age are full of lost people. They're not saved. But the ones that are saved, they're going to sit in the throne. And so, those those woke churches that that they, they don't want a gospel that's offensive. Well, how offensive is it to say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell... But Jesus loves you so much. He died on the cross for you. And if you will receive him, if you'll place your faith and trust in him alone, you are no longer at war with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're a son of God. You're an heir and a joint heir. You become beloved and righteous and holy before him. What a wonderful thing. But you have to admit that you need the help before you can get the cure. Back to... Psalm 9, look at verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Look at this. Thou saddest in the throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for what? And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. What's the context? Selah. Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to sit on his throne in judgment. But right now, this is a throne of judgment. All through the Bible, it's called his holy throne, the throne of his righteousness. Never forget that this is a throne of judgment. What's the significance of this rainbow? What's the significance of it? Remember that that rainbow is a sign of God's covenant with the earth. Remember Revelation chapter 4, from chapters 4 through 20, we're dealing with the church in heaven and God judging those on the earth. All the saved people are in heaven. We've been taken out. We're in heaven. So what we're seeing is the emerald throne. That, that, that emerald color is the, the sign of God's beauty. Yesterday I was watching the Masters, and um, Nick Faldo was showing, they were showing an overview of 
of Augusta National Golf Course. And just the beauty of it, he said, look at look how green it is. It's the most beautiful golf course on the face. It's the greenest and most beautiful golf course on the face of the earth. If you've ever had a chance to go to Ireland and the color of the green in Ireland, it's unbelievable. You can't even, you can't even, it's hard to describe what it looks like. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so this, this green rainbow, this emerald rainbow that we see that completely surrounds the throne of God. For us, it's a picture of God's grace and beauty that we're before him in love. And that he said, I'll never destroy this world again. But as he begins again, the focus becomes the earth. And what he's going to do with the earth, it is judgment. I was listening to Brother Knox's presentation on this passage, and he was talking about um, the flag, the rainbow flag. Does, is the rainbow flag a holy and righteous thing? But if you told Disney World that what that rainbow really is a representation of is that God destroys the wicked, and he will destroy the wicked again, he's just not going to do it with a flood. Do you think that Disney would fly it? Do you think these people would fly it? But when it's a symbol of sexual perversity and immorality of the worst sort, they take the thing that surrounds the throne of God, which is righteous and holy, and they, they blaspheme God with it every time they put it out. Every time. And then people say, how could a righteous and loving God judge the earth? Because these people know who God is and they hate him. See, we have to remember that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more the world is going to hate us and the Christ who we love, the Christ who we are sitting with in heaven We can never forget that the purpose of the church is not to make the world happy. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 21, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church... By Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end, amen. The Father is to receive glory by the Son in the church throughout all ages, throughout all eternity. We have a job to do, folks. We have a job to do. And our job is to build something eternal. Our job is to be the church that Christ wants us to be. It's not our church. Our church does not exist to please the world. But I can promise you this, if the world will listen to our message, their world will get better. Because we have the answer. The church is before the throne. What does it mean before? What does that mean? Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at what the Bible says in verse 
13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest, that's made plain, and you'll see that it's defined here in the verse, that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see, Jesus didn't enter into temples made with hands. He, he entered into a, the, the holy place and he sat down on his Father's throne. He's making intercession for us and everything is open and naked before him. So understand, as we worship, we are worshiping before his throne. Everything we do is open and before him. And we're going to give an account for that. And I'll show you how that works. So here we have the, the rainbow. God is about to judge the earth. The seals are about to be opened. But what about us? No, notice what it says in Ephesians 3.21. We are in the Father's throne with him now. Isn't that a blessing? Anybody saved here? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. How many of you are saved? Then, then what the Bible says, the Bible says that, that we're, we will stand before him, before this same throne worshiping him. That's Revelation chapter 4. But go to, um, go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Now notice what it says in verse, look in verse, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The church before the throne, not of works. You can't get in his throne by works. There are some people that will stand before that throne according to their works. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 8. 
I'm sorry, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and he that uh, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, according to their works. Do you see that? According to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, those people that want to be judged according to their works, there's one thing. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People that want to be judged according to their works, they will. And what they get for that is death. Your works cannot get you into God's throne. Only Jesus Christ can get you into God's throne. And it's his work that we rely on by faith. And the Bible says that we become overcomers by faith in him that is the overcomer, Jesus Christ. It's no works. No works. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Bible says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when he was here on earth working. That's the work of the Lord. It is to make disciples. Where do we make disciples? In the New Testament church. Here's our last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ. So the Bible says that the church is built on the foundation of Christ and the apostles. The Bible says about the church at Jerusalem, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the foundation is Jesus. The foundation is the apostles. The foundation cornerstone is Jesus. That's what we build on. You're not allowed to build anything else. And the Bible says in Romans 14.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So as a church... All believers, every saved person, praise God, we won't stand before him at the great white throne judgment. If you're not born again, you will. I hope you get saved. Those of us who are saved, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And look at what happens. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's works. What's it say? See, you're not going to give an account for your works. 
at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to give an account for the work that you've done for the Lord. And the Bible tells us how to do that work. You can't, you can't do it the way you want to. The, the church can't look the way that you want it to look. The can't, can't, church can't behave the way I want it to behave. It's Christ's church. Jesus Christ is in his throne. It's a throne of judgment. Lost people are going to be judged, and they're going to be cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those of us who are born again, we're not any better than those people. Jesus Christ has saved us. And if you're not saved, he wants to save you today. But all of us who are saved at Grace Baptist Church, if we're going to build something eternal, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we need to understand that we will give an account for the work that we're doing. And how are we to do it? Zealously. Zealously. Can, can I, I said last verse, can we do one more? Revelation 3. Let's go back to Revelation 3. I know when I study for a couple of weeks before I preach something, the sermon's going to be too long. Look at, notice what it says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. As many as I love, remember, this is our same passage, verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. The same passage, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What's he chastening them about? Be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, our problem in the church at Laodicea is everything's okay. We're good enough. Service is good enough. My, my attendance is good enough. My giving is good enough. My evangelism is, eh, eh, it's, it's good enough. My care for the purity of doctrine and behavior in the church, eh. Pastor, why do you, why do you care so much? Why, what, what does it matter? What are we supposed to do? Be zealous. Therefore, and repent. Let's all stand. What is the result when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ and our work is going to be tried of what sort it is and you can build gold, silver, or precious stones. That means not everything. Gold's the highest. Precious stones would be the lowest. Maybe not everything you do, will, God will give you gold, but he'll give you precious stones. But, but if, if you're not working for him, all the stuff that you've talked about, it's just going to be wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned up. What's the result of that? The Bible says you're going to suffer loss. Suffer loss. That means that God has rewards that he wants to give you in heaven. He wants to give you these rewards. And then what are you going to do with those rewards? You're going to give them back to him. Can you imagine standing, you're sinless, you're in your new body, you know perfectly now, and you're seeing the perfect and righteous Savior, the one who gave up everything for you. 
And because of the selfishness of our lives, now we have nothing left to give Him. Folks, I don't want... Honestly, I'm a little worried about that myself. Because I don't know if I've ever done anything that's completely for the Lord. How about you? That song, Must I Go In and Empty-Handed. Nothing to give to my Savior. Nothing. So I've got two questions. Number one, do you love Him? If you love Him, would you raise your hand? How's your work? Wouldn't it be good for us to judge that now? Wouldn't that be good? Why? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's not saved today, that today will be the day. Lord, thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for the revelation that you've given us of your throne.